0: Welcome to the podcast for St. Andrew's Community United Methodist Church, a loving, caring, overcoming community of faith where our mission is making disciples of Jesus Christ. So I wonder if any of you are like me. I have an entire garage full of tools that I don't know what are or what the purpose of them are. And uh, I say that kind of embarrassingly because my, my dad is like, he was a carpenter, and uh knows every tool has used every tool knows what they're for has them organized in his garage can find them and uh he'll come over to my house to help me with things that i don't know what i'm doing but i'm trying to save some money and he'll say josh we need whatever tool go get that and I'll come back with something completely different. And I'll be like, is this what you're needing? And he goes, no, it looks like this. And I'll come back with something completely different that he's not looking for. And and uh, how many of you have ever used a wrench as a hammer? I have a time or two. Not because I don't know what a wrench is for or what a hammer's for. I was just too lazy to go find the hammer. And uh, and, and what I've learned through all of that is if you don't know what something is, And if you don't know what the purpose of it is, you can get yourself in a little bit of trouble. Um, You can have a tendency to break things or mess things up. Um, And so what I thought we'd do, we're gonna have a little bit of fun this morning. You guys, will you allow me to have a little bit of fun? Because I want to feel a little better about myself. Um, I wanna show some tools that, um, that are lesser known tools to see if you guys know what they are and what they're for and because I failed I was 0 for 5 on this test and so I want to try to make myself feel a little bit better and see if I can uh, stump you so here's the first tool that we have does anybody know what that is or what it's for it is called a dog leg reamer it's a dog leg reamer and uh, if you um, happen to work on aircrafts, you might know what this is for. Um, it, you stick the hardened tip of the dog leg into the freshly drilled hole, and you crank the handle, and it's supposed to smooth out the rough hole edge because it can act as a stress multiplier and cross a crack to form. And so you put it in there, and it smooths the hole out, I guess. I've never used one, never even heard of one until a few days ago. Or what about this one? Does anybody know what this is? It looks like something that I use on my my grill at the house to clean off all the gunk. Uh, But that's not what it is. If you were a sculptor, you would probably know what this is. It is a tooth chisel, and it's used, uh, the aggressive shape helps quickly rough a stone into shape. So that's what that is. Or how about this one? This one's my favorite. Anybody know what this is? Yeah, getting close, getting close. So if you were an electrician or a plumber, maybe you have used this before. This is called a stubby nail eater. It's a stubby nail eater bit. And uh, it says that electricians and plumbers don't always have the luxury of boring holes through nice clean lumber. Most of the time they have to bore holes where there is a nail in the way. This bit is short so it can fit in tight spots and it's constructed to be so tough that it can chew through nails and spit them out. So that's the stubby nail eater. Or how about this one? You probably have a guess of what it is, but maybe not specifically what it is. So what's this? It's, it's a type of wrench. Um, it's an iron worker's tool. It's a wrench. It's called a spud wrench called a spud wrench. It's a wrench on one end and a drift pin on the other. You poke that end into a misaligned hole, misaligned holes, and then you can lever them into alignment. That sounds like my kind of tool. You're like, well, I don't know what to do. I need to align these holes. Let's just stick this thing in there and see if we can force it. That's my kind of tool. All right, and this last one, anybody guess what this is? It's a tailpipe cutter. Tell pipe cutter, in case you ever need to cut a tell pipe, here you go. This is essentially a combination between a chain wrench and a pipe cutter. It wraps its chain around the tell pipe and lock it, make a couple of turns to allow its pipe cutting wheels to sever the excess length of metal nice and neatly. So, over the last few weeks, as we've been talking about created anew, we've I think adequately defined what salvation is and what it's not. I think we have a good grasp and understanding of what it is. We've said that salvation is a gift from God. It's not something that we can take credit for. That we are saved by grace through faith. Right? We're not saved by grace through trying really hard, working really hard, being really good. We're saved by grace through faith. Um, salvation isn't this carrot that God is dangling out in front of us, and if we just run fast enough and work hard enough, we're going to be able to to get it. That's not what salvation is. Um, Imagine trying to take credit for the sunset, or taking credit for a cool breeze on a hot day, or taking credit for the, the rain that we get during the drought, Um, No one would think to do that. That's ridiculous, because we have nothing to do with those things, and it's just as ridiculous to try to take credit for our salvation. It's the work of God in our lives. Um, Paul didn't just talk about this in Ephesians 2. He also talked about it in several other writings. And one of my favorite comes from Romans 3, through 24 where he basically is saying that it's all the work of God. It's all the work of God. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes. Everyone, not a few, not some. Everyone who believes, no matter who we are, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. See, it's the work of God. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. So, so salvation is a gift from God, um, but it's not a reward for the good things that we've done. That's what we talked about a couple weeks ago. We can't boast about our salvation, right? God doesn't have this really long checklist of things that he says, okay, do this, 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 and this, and then you get this reward of salvation. And it's, it's also not... Some treasure that God has hidden away somewhere and expects us to decipher and decode some treasure map in the Bible where we're going to find X marking the spot so that we can get the reward of salvation. That's not what salvation is. In fact, we are actually the ones that are lost, not salvation. And God sent Jesus to find us. We are His reward. Salvation is not our reward. We are are God's reward for finding us, for um, sending Jesus to give us a way to have a reconciled relationship with God, to restore God's image in us. And not only are we His reward, last week DA talked about that we are God's masterpiece. Right? For all those that are in Christ Jesus, we are created anew, we are God's masterpiece. It's the sole work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Right? Salvation isn't about the bad becoming good. It's about the dead coming alive. It's about the dead coming alive. We are completely transformed in Christ. We don't become better versions of ourselves. We don't even become newer versions of ourselves. We become a completely transformed new creation. Right? And uh, I love Paul's words in Galatians 2.20 where he says, My old self has been crucified... With Christ, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And, and honestly, we could end the sermon series there. We could have started something new this week. We could have ended it with, we are God's masterpiece created anew in Christ Jesus. Right? We could end it with, salvation is a gift from God that we can't take credit for. We could end with, um, it's not a reward for the good things that we've done. Right? That's the temptation is to end things right there. Right? The temptation is to focus on the blessing and ignore the calling. The, fo- the, the temptation is to focus on the response and ignore the responsibility. Right? It would be like Abraham when God came to him, and Abraham only listening to half of what God had to say. Right? In Genesis 12. It says, the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And, and it's like Abraham's just, oh, sweet, sign me up. I want to be famous. I want to be blessed. Yes, God, where, where are you sending me? But that's not where the scripture ends, right? Just like Ephesians 2 doesn't end with, we are God's masterpiece, Genesis 12 didn't end with, I'm going to make you famous and bless you. Right? It goes on to say, you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Right? As followers of Jesus, we not only have a response to receive God's grace, right? a response to receive God's gift of salvation and invite the Holy Spirit to do a transformational work in us, we also have a responsibility to make His name known. We have a responsibility to love and to serve and to bless others. Yes, we are saved by God's grace through faith. Yes, God's work of salvation in our lives makes us his masterpiece. But there is a point and a purpose to our salvation. Right? If we know what salvation is but don't understand the true purpose of it, we're going to mess some things up. Right? I mess things up in my garage all the time and at my house all the time because I don't know what the tools are or what they're for. We are God's masterpiece, but we aren't the type of masterpiece that's supposed to just sit on the wall looking pretty. Right? God has work for us. There is work to be done. There is work to be done that God has planned for us long ago, which is what we're about to look at. So let's open up to Ephesians 2 and take one final look at this passage from our Created A New series, Ephesians 2, 8-10. through God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. This is the word of the Lord. So just like the tools that we looked at earlier, the tools that we use in our kitchen or in our garage have very specific purposes, there's a purpose to our salvation. And it's important to understand that purpose if we want, if we don't want to mess things up, if we don't want to get things wrong, right? Our salvation isn't just about us. The temptation is to say, yes, God loves me and I'm saved and great. And while that is true, it's not the full story. Right? It isn't just about fire insurance. We don't just say, well, when I was eight, I gave my life to Christ, so now I can live my life however I want. I can do whatever I want. I can say whatever I want. I can spend my money however I want. I can treat people however I want because that one time, a long time ago at camp, I chose to follow Jesus. Right? It's not just fire insurance. It's not just a get-out-of-jail-free card. Salvation doesn't begin at our death. It begins at our new birth. God has something for us here and now. Salvation is first and foremost about God and about His desire for all to know and worship and to receive His gift of grace. The purpose of our salvation is so that we can get to work, so we can roll up our sleeves and do the things that God has planned for us long ago. No, we're not saved by works, but we are certainly saved for works. And faith and good works go together like one of my favorite things in the world, peanut butter and jelly. Or maybe you don't like peanut butter and jelly. If you don't like peanut butter and jelly, certainly I would think you liked cookies and milk. All right? Those things go together. We think of one and we immediately think of the other. And that's the way faith and good works go together. You cannot separate the two. Followers of Jesus are part of a missional community called to reflect God's character to in, and for the world. That's what we see in Matthew chapter 4 as Jesus is walking along the shore, calling out to his disciples. He says, hey, come follow me. And it's not just following Jesus for following Jesus' sake. Right? He says, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. Right? We have a response to faithfully repent, surrender, and follow Jesus, but we also have a responsibility to do the good things that he's planned for us long ago. John Wesley, who um, founded the Methodist movement, right? the reason we are known today as Methodists is because of John Wesley, um, and he uh, saw a very strong connection between faith and good works, between our response and our responsibility, so much so that he believed both were necessary for salvation. And what he would say is that faith is necessary for salvation unconditionally unconditionally. In every situation, we are saved by grace through faith. He even called it the sole condition of our salvation, right? We see that in Romans ten nine. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's the sole condition of our salvation. It's, it's necessary for salvation unconditionally. But he also argued that good works, the things that God planned for us long ago, the evidence of our faith, were necessary to salvation conditionally. He argued if there were time and if there was opportunity, that we needed to live out our faith. Right? And an example of this is the thief on the cross in Luke 23. As he hangs there on the cross, minutes from death, he looks over to Jesus and he asks Jesus, will you remember me in the end times? Will, will you remember me? And Jesus doesn't say, well, yeah, but first you need to climb down off the cross. And you need to go to church. Or first you need to climb down off the cross and go feed the hungry. Or climb down off the cross and go be baptized. No, he says, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Right? The thief didn't have the time and he didn't have the opportunity. But for us, many of us, we absolutely have the time and the opportunity to live out our faith. And, and part of the issue is sometimes we think of faith as just believing really strongly about something. Right? We, we see faith and belief being the same thing, but it's not. Faith is belief plus action. Right? It's belief plus action. If we truly believe something, we're going to act on it. If I truly believe it's going to rain, I'm going to bring an umbrella with me. Right? Faith is belief plus action. Right? James chapter 2, he says, Even the demons believe, and yet they tremble in terror. What good does that belief do if it isn't followed by good works? He says, faith without good works is dead. So if we have the time and the opportunity, we have to begin to live out our faith, the things that God planned for us to do long ago. One of the things that I I constantly like to point out, and it's not something I can take credit for, this is something I heard a long time ago, but it's that God did not create a mission for His church. He created a church for His mission, right? Jesus didn't call His disciples to come follow Him, and then they sat around and go, well, what do you think we should do, guys? No, the mission has always been there, and God's way of accomplishing that mission was creating the church and when you look back through history when you look back through scripture at the things that God planned for us to do long ago we see a common theme throughout a common mission throughout in Genesis he tells Adam and Eve be fruitful multiply and fill the earth and then a flood comes they'd mess some things up Noah builds an ark right? Brings the animals on board, family saved. And at the end of all of that, God looks to Noah and says, Noah, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And then he comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth through you. And then Jesus calls some fishermen to come follow him. And he says, look, I'm going to teach you to fish for people. And then later on, at the end of Matthew, he, he comes to them and he says, Go make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all the things that I've commanded and know that I will be with you always. That mission is the same throughout. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Go make disciples of all nations. That's the same thing. God's desire and deserves to be worshipped and loved by everyone on earth. God's calling us to be fruitful, to multiply and fill the earth with his children, to go and make disciples. Good works is not something that we have to do, but it's something we get to do. God is not this weak God that can't do things and is solely dependent on us to do something. He invites us to be a part of it. He's already at work and we get invited to be a part of that, but we don't have to do anything. I remember when my kids were little, they used to love helping us in the kitchen. Right, we got these great pictures of my son standing on the kitchen counter with a handful of shredded cheese as we're making pizza, and there's just cheese everywhere. It's just the biggest mess ever. And, and Bonnie and I, didn't we didn't need the kids to help us. They didn't make things more efficient by having more hands in the kitchen. It actually made things harder. It made things less efficient, made things messier, but we absolutely cherished and loved every second of it because it was time spent with our children. God doesn't need us to do anything. We actually make things messier and we mess things up, but God invites us to be a part of what he's doing because of his love for us and his desire to be in relationship with us. And I know it can be overwhelming at times as as we think about the good things that God planned for us, as we think about going and making disciples and being fruitful and multiplying, right? It can be overwhelming. And there's all kinds of excuses that we can come up with for why we can't, right? I'm not seminary trained. I don't know the Bible well enough. I wouldn't know what to say or what to do. I'm too shy or introverted to be able to talk to someone about my faith. I'm I'm just too busy or I'm too terrified that I'm going to mess things up. But there are some very tangible ways that we can be a part of what God is doing in the world, that we can live out the things that God has planned for us to do long ago. And one simple way is prayer. There's all kinds of things that we can be praying for. We can pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We can pray for God's kingdom to come. We can pray for our missionaries and our ministries and our pastors and our staff. We can pray for those who are in the world that don't yet know Christ. Those in our communities that don't have a church home. We can be lifting them up and and praying that God would open doors for us to be able to, to be God's hands and feet and to love them, to offer the hope of Jesus to them. We can also give, right we can help support ministries and missionaries and the church through our through our money. right maybe we can't physically go on the mission field, but we can absolutely help send someone. Maybe we can't physically serve somewhere, but we can help support and make sure that others can. We can send care packages, we can send words of encouragement to those that are in ministry and those that are on the mission field that are that are um, being the hands and feet of Christ we can. Absolutely, encourage them and give to their ministries. And if we can't go somewhere, one of the things that we recognize at the OU Wesley was that we really didn't have to go very far. All the nations were coming to us, right? And that's just as true for us here in South Oklahoma City, more as it is a college campus. All the nations are represented within a few miles of here, right? We may not be able to be able to go, but we can absolutely welcome we can absolutely be hospitable. We can absolutely open up our homes and our church to those from all over the world to make them feel loved, to make them feel welcome, to make them feel like this is a place that they can call home. And then the last one, this is the hard one. This is the one that that oftentimes catches us, and it's we can also go. That is a, a valid response to God's call in our lives. We can absolutely go right it, it it tells us to go make disciples of all nations and we can tend to think that if i'm not called to go somewhere then i'm exempt from the great commission i'm exempt from this because i'm not going anywhere but i think a a better understanding of this scripture a better understanding of go is as you are going as you are going to the grocery store make disciples. As you are going to work, make disciples. As you're going on vacation, make disciples. As you're going to the ball game, make disciples. As you're going to practice, make disciples. Right, we are all ministers. If you've spent any time at all at St. Andrew's, you know that. right? You know that. We are all ministers. We are not exempt from the Great Commission. The Great Commission is for all followers of Jesus, not just a select few. Right? The Great Commission is part of the good things that God has planned for us to do. And it's the purpose of our salvation, and yet at times, we struggle with a mob mentality. Right? You have a, a group of people together, and there is a need. There's something going on, and the mob mentality is that everyone in that group tends to think, well, someone else will take care of that. Someone else will speak up. Someone else will step up, and, and as a result, No one does, right? We tend to believe that someone else will lead that Sunday school class or someone else will serve in the kitchen or someone else will serve in children's ministry. Someone else will give 10%. Someone else will pray for the lost. Someone else will go on a mission trip or go on the mission field. Someone else will talk to my co-worker about Jesus, right? It's that thought of someone else will that led to Jesus and In Matthew chapter 9 saying, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Let's pray to the Lord of the harvest to send more workers into his fields. God's gift of salvation is absolutely free. It's a free gift. We don't do anything to earn it. We're not out there searching for it. God came searching for us and offered us a free gift of salvation. Salvation is is free, but following Jesus, doing the work that God has planned for us, is costly. That's not free, right? The salvation part is, but we're saved not by works, we're saved for works, and actually following Jesus is hard. It can be difficult. It's very simple, but simple doesn't mean easy. It is costly, Until Jesus returns, there is work to be done, and it is no one else's responsibility but ours. The church, you and I, are God's plan A, and there is no plan B. There is no plan B. The good work that God has planned for us long ago is the purpose of our salvation. It's the purpose of being created anew in Christ. So let's roll up our sleeves and let's get to work. Let's pray.